Murphy is here. Looking cool as hell. Thanks, man. Yeah, cool hat, cool hoodie, spider hoodie, black widow hoodie. It's with... a, a band called Mama. It was one of my favorite albums last year. There's like, the, you can see the band stuff I see on the back. The outfit, but... I see the fit today. I'm like, oh, Mama. <laughs> he showed us up today, JD. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I feel like trash. Way to go. Actually, we do have a nice color spectrum going on here. Have, a little bit of something for everyone. Yeah. I wore my Kendall Roy hat today in honor of success. I am not caught up. I had uh, the weekend away, obviously, and yesterday was a catch-up on sports day because yeah. I have a whole show to do, and yeah. then I had to watch, regrettably, the Toronto Blue Jays. And Dude, we're going to get into Brios, but last night, okay, first of all, full disclaimer for later for our Botano purposes, I bet pretty heavy on the Jays. I was like, minus 125 against the Royals? Come on. And then I was like... I've been riding the Aztecs all the way. They were just mm-hmm. the team that made me the most money on the tournament. I went seven and a half. We're going to get stops. And they started and they were red hot. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the game was a complete beatdown. There was one moment where they closed the gap late. And I went, eh, because I was they, kind of watching with one eye. Like they got to six five, Joe. To five? They got to five. With like six minutes left. And then and then it was turnover three. <laughs> yeah. Turnover late. Yeah. I went on like and a 16 yeah. and four anyway, run so, in the game. So it was just a sour night of losing bets where I was just looking at the account dwindle, you know. Ugh. <laughs> but Barrios, mad. So mad about Barrios. The Barrios one, it, like no. I'll give you San Diego State would have been the slightly more fun team to yeah. bet on yesterday. But I don't like that UConn team, all right? And I don't like them because I didn't bet on them. But they're just like a... I, they didn't have a single guy on their team where I went, I, I, this guy makes me feel a certain way. Hawkins? Nah. This, I like, do like Adama Sonogo just because like, right. they obviously love him and he means a lot to them. But like, yeah, I was watching that and they're winning the championship and I'm like, huh, they had a couple guys here who could step into bigger roles next year. I'm like immediately yeah. interested in like Singen off the bench or something like that. It's like, huh, maybe I, they could run it back. I, maybe it was because I was so compelled by the women's championship, but mm-hmm. and maybe it was the fact that I bet on one of the teams, that the team that got smoked. Uh, and maybe it was just that the game wasn't very competitive for a very long time. But yeah. that is one of the weirder tournament endings I've ever felt in terms of just... I, I had no feel for the championship winning team. I also think, you know, the way the broadcast handled the, it handled the victory and what stories they were telling and stuff kind yeah. of gives something away in that everything was about Coach Hurley, right? Yeah. Like, those it, were the exactly. only storylines that they like had. I didn't like that either. And, like, like, not a lot of the... And to Hurley's credit, he kept trying to push it back on the players. Yeah. And he kept getting asked, oh, your dad, oh, your brother. And he's like, no, the players, the players. Yeah. No, and no. you can only do that so many times. But, like, yeah, UConn... It's, they really did try to make a, it all about Hurley. They did because yeah. there aren't, like, obviously there are compelling stories, like Sonogo coming over from Mali and, sure. you know, now facing this tough decision that every really good junior faces is that a lot of people don't see you as an NBA guy, but they're really not going to see you as an NBA guy if you do a senior year, even if you're dominant mm-hmm. and you've got the championship now. Like, that's one storyline, but, like, even Hawkins and Jackson, like those are guys are all like fringy draft picks. Like they, yeah. they're guys worth kicking the tires on. But it's a lot of DeAndre Daniels of this guy's probably going to get drafted because Why do you say that I know because like you you have to see when a team goes like they they didn't just run through the tournament they destroyed yeah, everybody. That's yeah. it. That maybe that's you know what that's probably a lot of it is that I tuned out of a lot of their games. Yeah, but it's just it's weird too to have a team that doesn't have. Like, even usually the surprise teams, there's one guy you can kind of hyperfixate on from yeah. an NBA standpoint, right? And I think a lot of these guys are like, okay, maybe combine your yeah. way into a late first-round pick, but probably those guys are second-round picks. And, yeah. 
you know, the, once you get to that point, they're well, crapshoots. So, so if you're a guy, if you're someone who watches March Madness for draft scouting, there wasn't a ton uh, to that. If you're someone who just wants a close game, yeah, wasn't there that. wasn't a ton yeah. of that for UConn all the way through. And then, yeah, from the personal standpoint, like the entire broadcast in the second half was Hurley yeah. and Kemba. Yeah. And guess what? My boy John played at the University of Rhode Island and but Hurley left them. Oh. So I'm out on Is that, that your tall bud that we went to wrestling with? No, oh. that is Matt, who is a huge, actually, oh. UConn fan. Oh. Who it, I need a lot in sports. It's fun because he's uh, a guy that never talks any trash with sports. None. He's the nicest dude. Nicest guy ever. Truly. Like, <laughs> okay. Keith Olbermann would love him. Yeah. No trash talk whatsoever. My, yes, that's true. That's good. That's actually pretty good. I don't know what it is. There's a sickness in me. I, I can't believe some people are so nice. I was talking about this with somebody the other day. Like, you sound like such a women, hater saying that. No, women for sure. <laughs> but when some guys are so nice, over the top nice, I'm suspicious. I'm like, hmm, do you have bodies under your stairs? Like, what, what is happening here? You're trying to make sure that no one in the neighborhood comes around your house? No one, he's, you're the person that when they do the documentary on you, they would go, we would never suspected him. He was always so kind <laughs> to us. That's the only reason to be that over-the-top nice. Yeah. And so I think our whole friendship, I've just tried to provoke him through sports because he's a Cowboys fan. I rip him for that. And he is just like a depressing Cowboys fan where when they lose, he's the, like, He's like goes and lays sad. in his bed and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, dude, he's so depressing. for real sad. And he loves the Yukon Huskies. And last night, uh, I was trying to crap on the championship. I was like, this game's boring. Nobody cares. No one remembers your team. And he's not taking the bait because he's yeah. seen me do your this. Your fifth title's a fake one. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. And I'm like, your logo's ugly. Why did you change from the sweet classic Yukon Huskies logo to the this? Anyway, I just tried everything in the book. He wasn't biting it at all. Congrats, Maddie. Uh, sorry, Johnny. But yes, no, the moral of the story is actually that I have a ton of extremely tall friends. I genuinely have three close friends that are over six foot seven. We've, and like, we've McKee done this is my before. medium friend. It's like, just a, we, we've done this before where yeah, like... I mean, I so in university when we played like intramurals and stuff like that, I was the smallest yeah. guy on my team by like five inches. Yeah, and I'm five ten. I'm not like short. I'm not tall. Yeah. Um. Even this wedding, know, you and I are in the we're we're short for tall and tall for short. Yeah. We're just stuck. I'm in yeah. yeah. We're yeah, both. There Fred, we're all there together. Yeah. We're both Fred Van Vliet sized. <laughs> yeah. Which is like totally I'm taller normal than Fred Van Vliet. Really. I've stood next to Fred Van Vliet. I know I'm tall. Well, actually, I know I'm taller than Kyle Lowry. Also, Kyler yeah. Murray. Yeah, slightly. I'm yeah. slightly taller than Kyler Murray. That has been by measured like by doctors. Yes, I know. Yeah, that's right. yeah. But are you, you got to measure uh, no shoes, only socks. Like I was. Combine. Okay. Oh, actually, uh, I had no socks even. I was barefoot when I did so my you're like cup. half an inch taller. Yeah, than possibly. Murray. You know, How possibly. Big of socks are you wearing? Yeah, no. Yeah, Joe wears huge socks. Anyway, um, the reason you're here is because it was Blake Murphy Super Bowl weekend. Okay, and you were at a wedding. Yeah. And you missed everything. And okay, so. In this business, when people are away on vacation, right, and they go somewhere or they do a weekend somewhere, it's crazy because if you don't pay attention to things that are going on in the news cycle, you can genuinely try to step back into this job and feel like a complete fraud and... There's just nothing you can ever do to catch back up to sports. It's passed you by. Hey, you you lost it, you know? It's kind of like when you go to the gym and you're working out, working out, working out, and then you skip two days in a row and you go, oh, I blew it. It was done. It's it's over for me now. I'll never work out again. I just have to accept that I'm not a gym bro. Um, these are the things that happened over the weekend. Rob Manfred waged a war on analytics. My hero, the goat. <laughs> the Raptors head coach 
created his own fire in the office. He was literally uh, Dwight Trout going, what's the procedure? What's the procedure? <laughs> Running around the office. And tried to snuff it out. And then going, I uh, was just trying to prepare everybody for the fires There's, that might come here. Uh, Fred Van Vliet had 20 assists, this Blake's favorite player. But yeah, I don't even know. So it's kind of a pretty secondary story. Uh, WrestleMania happened and they expanded it into two days. Uh, wrestling got sold. Vince McMahon showed up with a... I, what kind of mustache do we call this? Vincent Price is like yeah. A, that's I was gonna say. Is that still the reference? Because that it. That's I mean, the, it's it's old, but you've at least got the like Simpsons I know. reference. I would say the pencil mustache is the yeah. way that I would describe what that is. <laughs> um, we had the Blue Jays' first weekend of baseball, and yeah, some pretty big statistical outliers. Like they were. They, thank goodness for Bo hitting a home run because they were the only team. They had the most played appearances with no home runs after shelling out some offensive guys this year. Their starters ERA is 1080. Um, what else did I? Oh, and a new NBA CBA. And this, the women's championship. Yes. But I covered that all. I didn't need you for that. I did it better yeah. than you could ever do it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. Just kidding. Uh, I mean, I, I, I watched the okay. second half of the game streaming it yeah. on my phone as uh, I drove yeah, back I, from Kentucky. He watched the second half. Oh, I watched yeah. the whole game on yeah. a TV because I made time for it. But that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, let's say nine things that I would all associate with Blake. So he's flying back across from, where were you, Kentucky? Kentucky, yeah. Yeah, you were in Kentucky. Flew, flew down, drove back. Yeah, and I... And I texted him, I'm like, listen, I know this is very against industry protocol, but this is your weekend. We have to do this. So he's here. What a good guy. Round of applause for Blake Murphy. Like, way to come in, Blake Murphy. Even though he's a little bit cold, I think he's kind of the prep king. Yeah, he's Blake Murphy. Yeah. So also, I had a show yesterday at five, right? Yeah, so yeah, I'm, okay. I'm good. Yeah, I'm, right, yes, right. Yesterday was like set aside of like, okay, some of these games I only listen to on radio. Yeah. I got to watch in 30. Tried to zoom through as much of WrestleMania as I can. Yeah, yeah. Tried to... I'm going to get know. to all of this, okay? Figure so out the Vince McMahon we're, we're stuff. We're going to try. We're going to try to get through all of these topics, okay? We're Is not today? going to. We're going to try. Yes, we are. We're going to. We're going to make it. We're going to do this thing. <laughs> Let's start with uh, Jose Barrios, because as a take guy, I am out on Barrios, and I have been on it for a while. And then the nerds all said. No, he's actually fine. And then Pete Walker this offseason said, no, he's actually fine. We got a pitch approach with him. And all the Twitter people were like, why were we ruling out Jose Barrios? And everyone loves to bring up the whole thing that he actually has had a lot of good starts. It's just that his bad starts were horrifically bad, to which I say, yeah, how is that a good thing? How is that a fine thing? That sometimes one every third game, he's just going to completely kill you like he did against the Royals last night. Look, I'm going to say this, and it's it's going to sound like it's subtweeting one person. It kind of is, but the analytics revolution of like wins don't matter and quality starts is too vague and contextless a stat. But then when a guy is bad, those things matter. Yeah, uh, no kidding. So he starts off his season. I thought it was the most he was the most important guy to get off to a good start because this is my Jose well, Barrios. They theory. also pitched him fourth instead of third in large yeah. part, I think, to get him to face the Royals, Royals instead of the Cardinals because, like, yeah, that Royals team had six lefties in the lineup, but none of them are dangerous lefties, whereas the Cardinals would have tattooed him. The Royals going into that game, and I know it's one series of baseball, but they were 30th in the league in offense heading into that game. And if they're going to project out where they're going to end up, my guess is somewhere near the bottom. They're anyway, a team full of number seven and eight hitters. Yeah, They were a bunch of, I don't want to say nobodies, but yeah, how concerned are you about the start for Brios? Very concerned. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. And it's not, I mean, we can get into the pitch specifics and things like that, but the only... The biggest reason for not being super negative about Brios that I had coming into this year was 
last year it felt a lot of the times that it was more mental than physical and mm -hmm. that struggling out of the gate and then constantly tinkering took a real mental toll on him because this was a guy who was Mr. Consistency for years. That was the book on him. And then suddenly, one day you don't have it, so you tweak this, and then you tweak that. And he moved his hand position. He moved his position on the rubber a couple times. He opened up earlier. He opened up later. He used the fastball and curveball less or more or in different spots. And I thought if he was going to have a bounce back, having an offseason to just reset and unplug and be like, okay, let's start fresh again. Let's see mm -hmm. how everything feels. Um, heading into this year, let's leave all that. And then right out of the gate, he's doing the tinkering and stuff again. He's nibbling. He can't. And, you know, Joe Siddle last night post game was fantastic on Blue Jay Central where, you know, he was kind of at a loss for like, well, okay, we've said we've prescribed 20 different things for him over the last year and change now. And every time he changes one thing, a new thing pops up. And so my reason for like tepid optimism would have been, yeah, the offseason is a big mental reset. And if part of this was mental, that's the only chance you have to kind of resetting and get that reprieve and start fresh. And mm -hmm. then if your season starts this way again, well, now I'm worried because if last season was in large part mental, this is not going to be better that it started this way again. And that right out of the gate, he's tinkering and changing pitch mix and, and things like that. It's, it's a lot. And like, I, I actually think the Bassett start is, even though it was a disaster as well, is more encouraging because at least in that case, it was just like, yeah, you hung your fastball over the plate too much. Like, at least that one has a pitch-specific explanation. Barrios, it was just like, yeah, you just aren't pitching well. You're okay. just not good right now. I'm terrified of it for this reason. My Barrios theory, and a lot of people don't agree with it. It's fine. It's like what – I think it's essentially all mental and that the mental is bleeding into the fastball location because he knows that that's the biggest diagnosis for him from a pitch standpoint, but also that – yeah, when is that not really a problem for a pitcher is if you can't locate the fastball perfectly and precisely and it's not a complete blow-away fastball. Yeah, if it's 93-94, yeah. you got to locate that yeah. thing. If it's 98-99, so, you get some leeway. It, exactly. So it's kind of one of those things where I go, yeah, yeah, all right, we get it. You've got to locate a not overwhelming fastball. Right. Why isn't he doing that when his whole career has been fine? He hasn't had some massive velocity dip in his career I got to associate it with something mental. And what I thought last year and what I've thought all along is that this is a guy who signed a massive contract extension, was put up as one of the faces of the franchise in a place where people really care about ball, who had not had a lot of struggles in his career, right? Who had mostly kind of cruised through as a really good player, but not on a big money deal, not with a ton of market pressure with Minnesota. First year he shows up and has massive pressure. He shows up as opening day starter. And he gets tattooed. And I think my theory is that the contract pressure has gotten to him where when he starts to struggle and he doesn't feel himself, he's not in the zone, he's not front running, he starts to feel that pressure even more and he starts to melt down. And that's why whenever he has those blow-up games, they're just like last night where he just really can't get himself back into the ball game. There are other guys who struggle and they battle, right? Like that's kind of the Manoa card. That's sort of the Gosman card. That's sort of, well, hopefully Bassett. That's kind of one of his things as well. I'm not sure that Jose Barrios is a battler in that sense where he can overcome it and he can get back into his rhythm, his routine, his confidence. And so, yeah, I'm sorry, but to start the year where you get tattooed and you completely take your team out of a game against the Royals, I, to me that says, oh, this problem's not fixed and this problem isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And yes, so of course, it's the fourth game of the season. These things can come back and bite you in the ass, but I'm pretty scared, man. I, I I'm He's got... 
seven years of contract, and I'm including this year because it's game one. Some people correct me going, there's only six years left. I'm like, no, 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 this is a full season. <laughs> this... we're, not, we're not discounting this year after one start. So, yeah, I'm pretty terrified about what it represents now, what it represents in the future. This is bad. This could end up going down as one of the worst contracts in all of Toronto sports history, maybe the worst. Yeah, the, and the only thing really saving it is that the economics of baseball will, by the end of this contract, make a $20 million deal per year not sure. look that bad. But yeah, it's it seems like already you're talking about, well, do you shelter him? Do you change the rotation so he faces this team and that team? And like, it's one thing with Kikuchi, who makes you know, at this point, 10 million a year for the next two years. But like, are you going to do this for six years? Yeah. And you're not going to find a trade partner for him at any point unless you eat like all the money. And at that point, you may as well just, you know, keep trying because there's so much sunk cost there. Um, But to your point about the fastball and the fastball location is like, there are obviously a lot of ways we can chop up what a fastball is doing. And the best one I thought yesterday was the, there's something, I don't know. I don't want to say it's tipping, but his, you know, there's some, there's been some suggestion that like his arm path is like pretty obvious and 61% of the fastballs he threw in the zone, they swung at. Mm-hmm. That is, I know that doesn't sound like a lot because you think fastball in the zone, of course you're going to swing. Pitchers last year, nobody even finished the season with a 50% swing rate on okay. pitches in the zone and Barrios was up over 60%. So that is a sign that not only is your fastball not locating well, but they're waiting on it and they're, they're jumping all over it. So first game of the season, a team that is that iffy at yeah. the plate should not have the book on you and be able to execute like that. Yeah, and this this is why I think such a large part of it is mental, is because of what you mentioned with Siddle, where we go, hey, how many different things are we supposed to... Oh, it's, it's the mouth guard, it's the arm slot, it's the pitch location, it's the lack of a second... Dude, It it's mental. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> they're, they're tied into each other. Anyway, um, secondary Blue Jay thought from this game, and then we'll move on to the rest of the... Like Murphy topics. So early on in the season, um, I do unapologetic takeaways. I got to tell you that I have a slight degree of nervousness already about the bats behind the top three guys. Like Varsho has actually had a really nice start. It's going to take some time, I think, for people to really get a cut. But I also, I really don't want to see Dalton Varsho be a four hitter on a contending team and then Chapman's gotten off to a hot start but then after that it's a lot of reliance on Brandon Belt being very good and Kevin Kiermeyer has come up in some big spots and into a double play last night that kind of killed whatever hope they had at a comeback Kiermeyer's doing hot guy stuff which is uh when you're paying attention it matters a lot he's mm-hmm. getting into the outs and then like yeah, yeah I'll poke a single in when we're down eight yeah, runs yeah. um and I, then of course like when the cameras are on in the in the outfield he'll turn it on and it's, I, I was lot, always concerned I, about the one extra like bat, and I had mentioned all offseason that I, I think that the Jays would have had kind of a perfect offseason if they were able to keep either Lourdes or Tay Oscar mm-hmm. and just say, hey, no, one of these guys is going to be a DH fourth outfielder. It just, yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous about how it, it, it seems now weirdly too lefty heavy <laughs> with so many of their bats, and now I don't trust a lot of the guys down the lineup already. It's too lefty heavy through the bottom for sure, yeah. and I think the issue with Varsho and Belt, like obviously those guys are, well, Belt will see, but he, if he's anything close to 2021 Belt, that's a nice left-handed bat to add in your lineup, and Varsho's sure. a great all-around player. Um, I don't know if he's a cleanup hitter, though. I So that's the thing. is like, And in talking about lineup versatility and stuff like that last year, even at the deadline, um, it was get a lefty, get a lefty. Well, 
the line you only get the lineup versatility component if that's a lefty that can break up all the righties at the top of the order, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a bunch of righties in a row and then a bunch of lefties in a row, the other team, the other opposing manager has the easiest job in the world, right? Like the way this batting order is structured, it's pretty easy to figure out how to pitch to the Jays. You would use your best righty against the top of the order, and then once it's the Varsho Kirk um, belt part of the order, like, yeah, of course you're going to your best lefty because even though Kirk's a good hitter, he's not like a make-you-pay-with-the-long-ball hitter. He's more of a bat-to-ball type of hitter. He's a now, really good hitter for a catcher. He's yes. a solid hitter. And I think we'll see him and Chapman switch spots uh-huh. sooner rather than later, given how Chapman's hitting the ball um, so far, but that still doesn't do it. And then you look at the bottom of the lineup and – they're the guys seven, eight, nine, or, or I guess eight, nine, because if Chapman's in the seventh spot, you're, you're in pretty good shape. Like those are really good guys to have for the first seven innings of a game. Mm-hmm. But like in that St. Louis series, there were a number of times where the Jays made pinch hit pinch run defensive substitution decisions. And the Cardinals didn't blink. They were like, okay, you're going to bring Kevin Biggio in or, um, you know, Nathan Lucas doesn't get the hit, but like Kevin Biggio, Santiago Espinal, Whit Merrifield, Kevin Kiermaier, those are all good players that are nice to have, but you don't have that like threatening guy off the bench. Mm-hmm. And it's where I wonder if, and it's the Brandon Belt thing will kind of be a, a chicken or egg thing, I guess, because if he's hitting really well, then he's going to start all the time. But actually on this roster, the best use of him might be the dangerous bat off the bench. Mm-hmm. So at least one of these guys you're bringing in as a pinch hitter. It's it's a weird thing to have really good depth and feel like you don't have options on the bench. It's it's a weird yeah. spot to be in. I That's how I feel about it too, where you go, I love belt signing. I like Kiermaier signing, but both of you guys should be a little less important. Mm-hmm. I like Varsho. You should be a little less important. Now, here's it the just, thing. That Nathan Lucas spot, if that becomes a fourth outfielder DH type who hits from the right side and gives you a pinch hitting option. But you don't have that internally. You don't yeah. have that internally. No, no. internally like, there's Unless not Addison that. Barger just takes off. Which, unless you're Ben Ennis, you don't believe that's a reality. Yeah. I mean, he also might be too jacked at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't, don't say that you, because ta- my boy Tyler O'Neill, friend of the show, Tyler O'Neill, yeah. has proven that there is no such thing He's as yoked. too jacked. He's yeah. Yoked. There's no such thing. Actually, Tyler O'Neill, as an extra outfielder and right-handed hitter, he was MLB Mark Feinsand did his is like who like the most likely player to be traded at each position mm-hmm. and Tyler O'Neill was on there because the Cardinals right. always have extra outfielders especially now that they're using Jordan Walker yeah um, I think that Cardinals team is complete after watching one series of them I went that team is in it to win it and yeah. I do not think that they will be selling players I don't think it was a sell I think it was a we're gonna have too many outfielders mm-hmm. with Carlson and Newt Bar and, and Walker and O'Neill and maybe there's a win-win kind of move there yeah uh, unfortunately to be I, that, well, the Jays got Newt Bar for Danny Jansen was uh, supposed to be the Lock of the century during yeah. the offseason, and they went, what are you talking about? Although, what are I mean, so far, early returns of our show for Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel is... Uh, Gurriel's had the higher entertainment value. You know he was the outfit when the guy no got... no idea what those two guys have done so far. So, um, you know the clip, though, of the guy proposing at the Teoscar Dodgers game? one horrific throw. Yes, Teoscar, he hit the runner, yeah. <laughs> the throw. But you know the clip of the guy proposing at the Dodgers game and security absolutely flattened him? Yeah. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is in the frame reacting, <laughs> and he's, like, so happy at first, oh. and then he's like, oh, no! He, like, hands to his head, and, like, it looks... It's that was very that, amusing. You step on the field, I'm a big proponent of... Anything can happen to you. <laughs> You're in the lion's den. <laughs> that security guard was gratuitous. It, it looked like he a comedy. Really he really was gratuitous. Right I know. I thought just... it. I thought it was fake too, just because of the proposal element of it. But yeah. I don't think it's well, fake. just the way the video was shot too. Like also no, the security know, just grips out of he, the side of the frame. That is a Terry Tate office oh, linebacker yeah. hit. No cover sheet yeah. on your TPS <laughs> yeah, report. That, that was pure. <laughs> <laughs> like you can go through. 
Troy Polamalu's greatest hits, that that one could be up there. That would be right in there. Yeah. That could be in the compilation. I, went, I did not know Troy was doing security work now. Absolutely laying guys out. I'm going to save uh, Manfred comes for analytics because we can do that just about any day. We're yeah. already chopping the topics. But is there anything else Blue Jays wise so far from the season that you want to discuss? No, it's been it's been obviously super underwhelming. It's uh, yeah, it has know, sucked to watch. Yeah. The defense hasn't. I mean, the outfield defense has been solid, but like Bichette and Chapman have both had rough moments. Um, I thought we were going to see Kansas City test Kirk a little bit more on the base pass last night, but I guess you don't really need to run when you're hitting. dominating the baseball game. Yeah, when you're getting <laughs> and the hits one time every they did time. test him, Kirk threw one 20 feet wide of the base. Yeah. So that's something I, I actually think more teams are going to test the Jays on. Not not because I don't believe in Kirk and Jansen, yeah. but because we haven't seen it yet, and a couple of their pitchers are pretty deliberate to the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say that I'd like to see the Jays try to run a little bit more themselves, but you got to have guys on base to do that. Mm-hmm. That Vlad stolen base of third last night was good. Sweet. So, yeah. I did like that. Um, but adds. yeah, that's like only their second stolen base, and every other team already has like a 50 stolen base man. My take of Vladdy getting 20 stolen bags one day. Game four, and you get one? Nice. Uh, that you're is on pace. Huge yeah. for the you're pace. You're on pace for 40. That's now. huge that. for the pace. All right, let's keep it moving. Um, I roasted Nick Nurse yesterday. Uh, he created his own poo storm. He stepped in it. <laughs> I have no idea why he decided to approach things that way, other than the fact that he's Nick Nurse and he can be like that sometimes. But my essential takeaway was... You created a fire. You created drama. Your team has actually been red hot since February. You're about to take a step into the playoffs, an important play-in game. And I say important because your team decided to not get in the Victor Womanyama sweepstakes so that they could do this. You yourself have said playoff experience is important for this group. Okay, so then it should be paramount that their head coach is dialed into this. And, and, I, and I really hate... I will admit that I can be annoyed when guys go, no, I'm so locked in on the playoffs. I'm not even thinking about a contract extension. And you go, well, that's strange because that's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars sitting there uh, in the future. But okay, sure. I don't think that you should be doing what Nick Nurse did, which is saying 10 years has been a good run and that you need some time to think and that you're not sure about what your future is going to hold again, right before the playoffs and then tell reporters the following day that you're not going to elaborate on your comments. You're just basically angry that they're even asking the question in a media market with millions of people and one basketball team. So yeah, what do you make of the Nick Nurse stuff? Uh, To me, it seems like a foregone conclusion now that he is absolutely gone. And I I can't help but feel like that's not going to impact the team in some way. Yeah, and I I talked about it, you know, a couple months ago. I think I said with Ennis that I think the the most reasonable outcome at this point, and this was when people were talking more about like, should Nick, like, is Nick Nurse the problem? Is that where you need to make the change? Masai made the comments at the deadline that made it seem like there was at least a little bit of incongruence mm-hmm. between front office and coaching staff and in, in how the season had gone and how that things has were been being clear for a while. Now. Yeah. Um, and I had said like, like probably the best case scenario is someone else comes calling and the Raptors get out of the last year of Nick nurse's contract. And they, they get out of this without having to say they fired the championship head coach who I still think is a good coach. It's just, we do this in every sport where like the Greg Popovich's of the world are very rare. Mm-hmm. Five years as a head coach and five years before that as an assistant, all with primarily the same core coming up, there aren't a lot of teams who stick together that long without making a, a change in voice and a, a change in message and a change in tactics, honestly. So, um, yeah, I think this was something that for months now my eyes have been on. But to come out and handle it like that was just bizarre. Like, first of all, he wasn't asked about that. 
He was asked about the state of the roster and things being in flux with the, the way I interpreted the question was more about like, yeah, you've got some guys who like, you don't know when they're coming back and the playoffs are about to start is how I thought that question was going. And then he took it in that direction. And then poor Lindsay Dunn like asks the very natural follow-up and is like, no, no Raptors media is in Charlotte that for that game. That was the first question they'd asked him about like the actual rumors. Yeah. And it was the like next day after yeah. or the next game the next media availability after he had gone yeah. on that so no you hadn't been asked three games in a row you had brought it up one game prior mm-hmm. and what did you think was going to happen so to do this kind of righteous indignance of like oh you guys keep asking me about this when we got playoffs too mm-hmm. nobody asked you in the first place yeah doug smith reported the thing and you could have said yeah hey i want to address this and just so it's out of the way for the playoffs but you didn't you opened up the can of worms and look there are smart guys in that locker room I don't think that report and those comments would have caught any of those guys off no. guard. Um, Pascal got asked about it yesterday and was did a very quick, like, that's above my pay grade. No, but can I tell you where I do think it matters? Oh, I think it matters. I yeah. just think, don't think it's a surprise no, to the no, guys no. in that I, room. I don't think it's a surprise to them either. You're, you're, you're bang on with that. Those guys know exactly what's going on. They know Nick Nurse. What I do think is that Nurse is a very showy guy. He's a very me, me guy. And he has his own branded hats. Yeah. How many coaches in the NBA have you seen go up on stage with rock stars and try to perform musical acts? Not just like once or twice. It's not how, a many, very long how many list. head coaches do you think tr- have as much commercial sway as Nick Nurse, who show up in advertisements throughout the country? I'm just saying acting gigs yes, on like Canadian it, legacy TV shows. Nick Nurse likes himself, which okay? is all cool, by the way. Like yeah. when things are going well, that stuff's fun. Like showing up with Arkells right after you win the championship. That is, was a fun moment. It's very cool. Yeah. Guess what? I thought that was a fun moment. I've actually never really been a fan of the head coach being one of the major public faces of an organization. I just think, nah. Anyway, um, it, it has been well reported and widely reported and well documented with Nurk Nurse that he is a he has very, very strong opinions. And, yeah, he is not afraid to back down from anybody, which is a good thing when, again, you are having success, that you have that level of confidence. Mm -hmm. What I think it matters when that's happening is your team is having a ton of success and guys in the locker room are going, okay, we are champions. We've got champions in this locker room. We've got veterans in this locker room. We brought back Jakob Pertl. We feel like our bench minutes are going to tighten up come playoff time. Hey, everyone wrote us off. We have the nobody believes in us factor. Let's go in here and let's surprise people. Let's shock the world. And all of a sudden the coach is out there at the podium going, hey, look at me. And you go as a player, will you shut up? Will you shut Mm -hmm. up, man? Will you just let us be the stars and handle this and let us just like go through this process without having to now also answer questions about you? And so I do think that when you're trying to win a championship and when you're trying to win playoff games, you absolutely need buy-in. You need everybody to be rowing in the same direction. And I do believe that if all of a sudden things start to go poorly, you're more likely to have those things continue to build and go poorly and head south quick if you don't feel like everybody's on the same page. And I don't think the coach is on the same page. I also think that, you know, J.D., you and I talked a lot post-deadline sometime about some of the cultural shifts in this organization, right? Mm-hmm. Where they were the kind of gold standard for a little while there about organizational culture. And, and that oh, was from a gone. that was from a personal standpoint. That was from a player yeah. development standpoint and all those things. And I think that when your culture has weakened, you are even more susceptible to this mm-hmm. kind of stuff, right? Like when when that connectivity and that connective tissue isn't there to the same degree, it's easier to get little like poke little holes in this team. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen that play out over the last couple of years. I think it's not a huge surprise to look back on the last few years as well and see that there's been a bit of a brain drain on the coaching staff 
and it's not all for promotions to higher spots in other organizations. Some people want it out. Jama Malalela, Jesse Mermis, Patrick Matumbo, Brittany Donaldson mm-hmm. all moved on from player development specific roles either on that bench or with the 905 or both. Mm-hmm. And only one of those people left for a clear promotion. Mm-hmm. So that there's an element of that as well. And obviously there is a, a still a strong assistant coaching staff there. But I do think like you add up all of those kind of cultural and day-to-day elements, the people and the things that keep everyone on the on the same track and pushed in the right direction. So not only does a situation like this, you know, stepping in it as he did be a problem, but the whole thing is more combustible because the people who have insulated you from the drama or helped guys keep their focus on the next game and stuff like that. You've lost a bunch of those people over the years too. Yeah. I let's just say this. I'm I'm ready for the Udoka era. Um hide your girlfriends. But other than that well, your wives, not yeah, both. girlfriends. I say both. I say both. <laughs> I just sorry, who's okay. that lady? Uh don't worry about her. I'll just worry about the team. I, I would say this about that. There's obviously there are jokes to make and real concerns to address if they do go the Odoka to me, route. just mostly jokes. But <laughs> going to, like, moving on from Nick Nurse and yeah. without much of a search already being tied to the runner-up from the Nick Nurse coaching search uh-huh. is, I don't like the optics of that. I don't like the way that feels. Like, Udoka really? interviewed for that spot. Yeah. So five years later, you go back to the guy who was the runner-up, like, yeah. and without talking to anyone else, seeing who else is out there um, doing a, another proper search. I, like, I know you've done your due diligence on him already, and you've gotten to Here's know him, thing. and he had a good showing in Boston yeah. and stuff like that, but I don't know. I, I don't like the way that that feels of, like, oh, he's out, and the exact same process that led yeah. us to Nick Nurse, we're just going to go back to whoever was next on the list. I, I just think if the Raptors' goal is that they are trying to win... Which it's clear they are, right? They're yes. not. They're not taking a step backwards. It's, it's like, and the new CBA stuff is going to make it uh, a little easier to do those things. So, and I want to get into that next. Mm-hmm. All I'll say about the Adoku thing is, it seems pretty clear that NBA wide, the, the league wants to let him back in, and people are dying to get him because he is one of the better coaches in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, you saw it's that something listen? you should be able to come back, get from. a second chance yes. from, and like you know, yeah, sure, like let's see some proof of the the steps sure. or whatever the atonement. Sure, um, but it's not. Like, yeah, we have to leave room for people to, to get a second chance. Yes, 100%, especially for him with this. It's what he did with Shady and, like, no, not a very good character standpoint. I do wonder how that changes in terms of how, again, guys, listen. A coach, if you think about it, I've always made this joke, but you don't go to college football programs and find a lot of guys who don't have a family. Mm-hmm. It's not like you go well, look there at how and big it's the just, Urban Meyer thing was when he was like dancing exactly. at a restaurant, right? You you need to be the quote unquote leader of men and you need to be a pillar, right? That's why I find the Nick Nurse thing so aggravating right now is can you just set the example for your team once where you're you have the composure on the sideline or you have the composure with the media? I just mm-hmm. there's some things about it that drive me nuts. With Adoko, Brooklyn was just the number one team that could not hire him because they were already in such a narrative storm they could not get out of it by hiring and adding another layer of being complicated to this and the raptors are going to be the beneficiaries of this i believe brooklyn also had the complicated like oh boston hadn't installed missoula as the full-time head coach yet so there was maybe like compensation but udoka is just a full-on free agent yeah now he's good anyway I, i think that if you're talking about a championship pedigree guy a guy who's looking for a resurgence it's hard for me to believe that the Raptors have a better candidate internally. I all due respect oh, I to Earl Watson. I don't mean internally yeah. because I think, you know, first of all, we've seen, obviously Nick Nurse has been a very good head coach for this team. Yeah. But when you talk about 
what does a new voice, what does a change do? Well, Nick Nurse is talking about this like it's been 10 years, not five years, right? Yeah. So if you move to Earl Watson or Adrian Griffin or something like like that, um, you know, maybe five years from now, Earl Watson's up there. Well, I've been here for 10 years. and um, Although I I do really like Earl Watson and a lot of the players speak really highly of him. But this is, yeah. I've seen Earl Watson as a head coach, though. I'm good. Yeah, it was. He got that job too soon, though. Yeah. So what? So I'm good. I'd uh, rather see a guy that has done more with less. Let's yeah, just I say. just want. I would just like a little bit more of a search, other than sure. like where it's cool. We'll go I to our second choice. Yeah. I think that's a fair take. We'll All go right. back to the X. That, that would actually be really funny. Yeah. Dwayne Dwayne Casey helped this culture, and Dwayne Casey's only got one year left on his deal before he transitions into because a, he's clearly on the outs in Detroit. As soon as they get good, they're going to pivot off of him. And no, but gonna, he's he's going to transition because he's he's the second oldest coach in the NBA. He's going to transition to like some sort of hybrid front office slash coaching slash like like not quite what Wayne Embry is with the Raptors where he's just like a special advisor helping out here and there but something like that they're they're gonna treat Dwayne well on the way out I think that's good um so the new NBA CBA uh the big ticket items were that there is big changes to the max extension rules Mm -hmm. there is potential now for an in-season tournament that could start as early as next season which I don't know how I feel about, but either way, whatever. There are changes to the luxury tax rules in terms of what kind of contracts can be doled out and what kind of penalties are going to happen to the teams that exceed the luxury tax limit. Um, And then most notably for just like the casual NBA fan that just really cares about the product every night, um, the awards you're going to have to play a minimum of 65 games mm-hmm. in order to qualify for them. Is What what are you most excited about with the new rules? I, I know that there's some other things that are in here about, like, you know, designating supermaxes. So if that is, you know, what you find most intriguing, how do you, what do you think is the number one thing that's going to affect the Raptors moving forward here? Yeah, so um, my honest answer is they have a third two-way spot now. Okay. Uh, that's like honestly, like with the way this offseason lines up, can't like, wait to see the next horrific free agent signing for the Toronto Raptors on a yeah. on a mid level exception. No two way, two way spot, yeah. extra oh, two way spot. Uh, damn, yeah, yeah. The next Jeff Doughton or Justin Champagne. Who's I forgot Boston that if, Celtic now. By no, the way, no, but this could actually be good for the Raptors now. As my brain went here, because if they do exceed the salary cap, like if they go into the luxury tax this year, which it looks like they'll have to in order to retain all these guys. Mm-hmm. They could lose their mid-level exception, which means that no more will they sign Otto Porter Juniors of the well, world. So this is the thing is the tax system will be and, and I'm going off of just reporting because even mm-hmm. the teams and agencies yet don't have the full document. They're still mm-hmm. working through the, all the specifics and we're just getting memos here and there. Um, but it sounds like there's going to be a, a dual tiered luxury tax thing. So a team like the Raptors, if you're just edging into the luxury tax, still got your your mid-level. You just have the taxpayer mid-level mm-hmm. instead. It's teams like the Warriors and Clippers who they're trying to be like, you can do nothing except mm-hmm. minimum contracts. And that's it. So you can get your ring chasing vets, mm-hmm. but like the Clippers couldn't even, and this would have saved them from themselves, couldn't even have signed John Wall this past offseason because they used the the mini mid level uh, to add him. So that doesn't really have an impact on the Raptors, um, you know. And, and to hear Draymond tell it, they're like the Raptors might be the only team that benefits from the fact that they're trying to curb spending at the tippy top and help teams in the middle spend a little bit more to keep their guys together. And Draymond's point as he kind of broke it down on Twitter is like, yeah, but none of those teams actually want to spend. Mm -hmm. I actually do think a lighter first luxury tax ban, like that's the Raptor sweet spot, right? Of like, we'll spend into the luxury tax, but the penalties aren't that punitive. Uh, The roster building stuff isn't that punitive. It's just money at that point. Um, I I think that suits them better than the current structure. Um, The extension rules are important for them because this makes it slightly more likely, I'd say, that they can work out an extension with OG Ananobi this offseason because his 
the, like the negotiating band you have to work within is now wider. He mm-hmm. can get more money. You can offer like you don't have to offer him his max, but you've got more wiggle room there now because you can go forty percent higher instead of twenty percent higher. Um, the old rules, I think for sure, OG would have been like no extension discussions. I'm going to free agency. Um, so those things are important. Um, I don't know the the supermax the designated player supermax thing doesn't affect the Raptors directly, but one thing that could affect the Raptors if you think they're going to be better next year. Boston. The team, the team, Boston is one. Cleveland is the other. They've already mm-hmm. got two. And I'm not saying this is going to happen, but Dallas is a disaster. And Cleveland has the second largest Slovenian population outside of Slovenia, like in the world. And the, the Cavs trading in some of their chips for a distressed Luca asset, if he asks out because that's such a mess, is like, it's not going to happen, but it's a really fun, like... It's a fun idea, but Mark Cuban over his cold, dead yes. body is going to let Luca Doncic walk. Yeah, well, guess yes. what? Your cold, yeah. dead body, like, would it surprise you if Kyrie yeah. just, like, can touch you and, and that happens? If, like, if, oh, man, if... Uh, I can't even process this. It's so hard for me, you know, but imagine... Trading for Kyrie was actually a domino that caused you to lose Luka Doncic. As a matter of fact, I don't. I don't think it'd be the ultimate uh, Kyrie. And yet, like, and yet, domino. someone this offseason will still pay Kyrie. Someone 100%. will be like, "We have to do this. Um, we have to take a shot." Anyway, my real take from the CBA is that, mm-hmm. from what we know right now, other than the OG extension and maybe letting the Raptors more comfortably be a team spending in the like six to twelve yeah, the range. Mitt. Yeah, like those base right now, a lot of these other changes don't really affect them a ton. They don't have mm-hmm. designated player super maxes. They're not a high tier luxury team. I don't think anyone cares about the, you know, in season tournament stuff just yet or RFA qualifying offers or whatever. No, um, I do think it's funny that all along we've heard that the in season tournament prize is going to be one mil a player and then it comes out officially as 500K. Mm-hmm. It's like, huh, that was a, that was a big change. That, that, is, that is a pretty big change. I will say this that to me, it did make me think about the upper extension limits for extensions. Mm-hmm. They are most likely to negatively impact Cleveland and Boston, by my estimation. It's just what it's, do you mean? well with Boston with what they're going to be, what they're going to have to table for Jalen Brown and his. Oh, you think it's it's going to be tougher because they have to pay them even more? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like if and if you just look at the fact that it's like Garland, Mobley, and Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And then they're still going to have Jared Allen on the books. It just, it feels like at one point in time, push come to shove, they might have a tough decision to make. And then filling out the rest of that roster could end up being difficult for them. So I think, I think that that doesn't really get changed by this just because like, if under the old rules, like you couldn't extend those guys anyway, because they would say no, and you're headed to free agency with those guys. And now, so if you're headed to free agency with them again, like, I don't think it changes a ton. I don't think guys at the Mo, like Mobley, it won't affect because he's going to be coming off his rookie scale deal and he's going to get the like rookie max anyway, right? Like he's going to get 25% of the cap. Garland is a really interesting. It's just so much more money for Garland. Yeah, Garland and Jalen Brown, but also those guys, like if you... It's a case where without these changes, it mm-hmm. was just a foregone conclusion that they were going to free agency and you'd have to negotiate with them against the market there. Mm-hmm. And then you're talking about using bird rights for a max deal anyway. I don't think it changes a ton. Like, I think both of those guys are a little above the tier that this affects. Like, I think it, it affects an OG and an OB type. Um, you know, your Dorian Finney-Smiths, Mikhail, Mikhail Bridges might even play his, his way yeah, out of it. That was a big leap. Yeah, I'm OG just saying, I'm trying to I think know. of guys in the like 12 to $20 million range mm-hmm. who now could cash in early ahead of free agency and just secure that money. Whereas like, it's really hard to project OG's free agent market a year out because of his 
archetype and stuff. And if the three point shooting ever dips or whatever, I think it's, it more affects those guys. The Jalen and Garland guys were going to, if you don't give me every cent you can, I'm going to free agency anyway. Sure, and I the think difference that's the is same. that those guys now go from 120% increase potential to 140%. Right. But increase. once they hit free agency, they all could have got the max anyway. Yeah. Like this is only on extensions, right? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't apply to once a guy becomes a free agent. Yeah. My so, thought there was that if you're having to pay those guys, even that extra money against the cap, and that yeah. there are more stringent luxury cap rules that it's going to make it harder for you to roster build around stars. So like the big three or big two mm-hmm. model now becomes more difficult for some of these teams that have been building their teams around like two or three potential superstar players. Yeah. And, and what it's going to do, I think, is it's going to churn the middle tier a little bit more. You're going to do a lot of, uh, you know, shorter deals for guys in that range because, yeah, you can't. I said, yeah, if you're Cleveland, are you going to be able to get guys to buy into taking less money so that your superstar players it's like the hard Darius thing Garland? with young guys, right? Like yeah. Isaac Okoro hasn't got his money yet. Yeah, I it's like hard Isaac to Okoro. So do I. Yeah, um, I like his fit on that team, but it's hard to ask a guy like that yeah. to be like, well, I'll take a discount. But when all the other young guys around you have gotten theirs already. I guess they got Dean Wade on a discounted long-term deal. So there Great. you go. Yeah, it's nice. Dean Wade. Uh, I like that they put in the 65 mandatory games played thing. It is going to be curious to see whether or not there's like a weirder kind of load management near the end of the season where guys like try to skirt a couple of extra games in to hit this thing or so how this goes it'll down. It'll be tough because some guys will have you know, contract bonuses and stuff like that tied to already do have it tied to games, but guys are also like Embiid, for example, say he was up against it and there were four games left and they wanted to load manage him. Well, he also cares about the scoring title, right? Um, There's also, there are more details to come on this where I think there are going to be loopholes. Um, I think that it's not going to be a straight 65 games flat. I think it's going to be 65 games unless you can demonstrate that you actually had a long-term injury. Like, I, I think there yeah, are going to yeah. be some there, loopholes. There will stuff. be some of these things, but yeah, and, either way, I, I do like that they at least have said, hey, this is a priority for us, mm-hmm. even though I and, do kind of wish it was 68 games. Yeah, and it's, it's but 65 is, is big too because, yeah. um, so over the last decade, mm-hmm. four guys per year on average would be off the all-NBA team. I love that. That's a pretty four out of 15 slots. That's a good stat. That's yeah, a really good stat by Blake Murphy. Wow, that is a blowaway stat. Four guys a year? Damn. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we have to talk about why WWE was sold, but also why they kept the same champion. And then hopefully <laughs> a recovery for the best bets. Blake Murphy in studio. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So yeah, Blake Murphy in studio. Podcast only portion. We're going to do the WWE sale and Roman Reigns champion, mm-hmm. among a couple of other things. Only if you acknowledge me. See, this is, you're you're <laughs> not equipped to talk about Roman Reigns' title reign if you don't even get the acknowledge me reference. 960-plus days of him as the champ, and he starts every single match and promo telling, making the crowd or his opponent yeah. acknowledge him. That's cool. Yeah. It is, it is it, a good it's, bit. It's like that's from Mad Max. He stole it from Mad Max. Witness me as yeah. they do the spray paint thing and then jump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My brother and I do that in the summers when we're drinking. Spray paint each other? Yeah. No, yeah. But whenever, if, if you're like taking a heavy, if you're going to go, you're going to do like a heavy drink, you're going to do something a little bit wild. And you I say, would never witness do, me. A, do a heavy drink. Yeah, no, yeah, not you. No, sir. Not 
Blake Murphy. It is time for Best Bets, brought to you by our friends at Patano, the 2022 Global Sports Betting Operator of the Year, owners of more of my money after yesterday, where I decided to go with Aztecs plus seven and a half. Boy, not well, so hot. I parlayed the Jays and Aztecs plus seven and a half. At least you parlayed them. I played them both separately, which required more money uh, against both of them. even more. Yeah, and it was great because, uh, yeah, at least the Aztecs gave me a moment of hope at the beginning of the game where I went, I knew this was the right side. You guys are tough. We were close at the end. Tough for as nails. a second. Yeah, for a second. But no, the Blue Jays won. I got not even a moment of joy, right? They just came in. Jays were all out. And then Jose Barrios just gave up. Decided he, <laughs> he went, no, I'm just not. I'm, we're not in this. That can't be right. You said Royals are still dead last in hitting, Jumbo? Yeah. They they still only have uh, 22 hits. Oh, they, they came into yesterday with a sub-500 OPS. There's a, there's a long way to climb oh, out dude, after just three games. They only had four runs in the first three games. Okay. <laughs> I might have to just pivot and go right back to Jays. What's the Jays line tonight? Minus 167? No, I can't do minus 167 no, with right, Kikuchi. I just can't do it. They're what about... Uh, so here's the, the uh-huh. best of both worlds. The Jays are a disaster, but Kikuchi shows just some... What's the strikeout prop at? Yeah, I was just going to say that if I can see what Kikuchi's strikeouts are... If it's if it's three and a half, I might have to take the over. I think it'll be higher than that. I know, I, but could it be less? I don't know. That's what you have, a, Jobo. That's what you have a minion you are for. Way okay. too slow, Joe. Slow Joe is your new nickname now. Slow Joe. Slow Joe. Because slow Zaya. Slow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> slow Zaya is so much better. It's four and a half. It's four and a half. What? At what price? Uh, minus one eighteen. Uh, it's too much. All right, I'm gonna stick with my original bet. I wish I could do that, but I just, as the as the owner of Kikuchi stock, I wish I could back this, but I just, I cannot do it. Blake Murphy is here, so I'm going to go with uh, our Orlando Magic, okay? Mm. Blake Murphy and I, both big Orlando Magic believers. Uh, we like the future of the Magic. Okay, this is why we're doing this. The Magic have been red hot against the spread lately, okay? Unbelievably hot against the spread. Just destroying their Wemby chances too, by the way. Yeah, the Pacers have fallen beneath them. Portland's fallen beneath them. Yeah, but so since March, they're 7-4, and four, and they're 10-1 and one against the spread in their last 11. They got Jeez. five and a half points tonight at home against the Cavaliers. I just think they're a scrappy team. Think they could end up winning this game. Cavs, nothing to play for either. They're locked yes, into the four seed. Ex- exactly. Cavs, who knows what they even end up doing this game. You know I like a little bit of, hey, take some risk and see if they'll sit some guys. Uh, we'll see if that ends up happening. That was Best Bets brought to you by Botano Sportsbook. The game starts now. Go over to the podcast, listen to more of Blake Murphy and I. Subscribe and review. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptors show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome to the podcast-only portion of the show. My favorite part of the show, the secret garden of the show, Blake Murphy stayed. Pete Walker has come back in studio with his uh, $80 Austin <laughs> Matthews advertisement one hat. One of two. One of these guys in the room has a sweet hat. All right? I don't I don't think it's you. Anyway, uh I said that we were gonna talk about WWE in here. It's Blake Murphy. He's like the you're the Sportsnet's authority on WWE, all right? Yeah, Who's Kevin Kevin Mickey would probably have a Kevin Mickey. Yeah. Get out of here. I love Kevin Mickey. He, he's got the whole like I dress like the backstage interviewer oh, that yeah, sticks I... my, the microphone in the, the bad guy's face and the rock does this to him. I love when he's trying to I love, ask a question. Love Kevin Mickey. Actually, one of those guys where I would go, hey, if there were 10 people I could show in the company doing it the right way, start start from the bottom, I would go, yo, look at Kevin Mickey. He's one of us, you know, mm-hmm. self-made man. 
but get out of here, Kevin Mickey. You don't hold torch, my boy Blake Murphy, when it comes to things like this. Yeah. You don't. You don't come close. You're not in the stratosphere, my boy Blake Murphy. Okay, so I was trying to feel out. Uh, Ariel Hawani yesterday about some of this, mm-hmm. but he was at WrestleMania, so I think he was annoyed by my text messages. I was like, "Hey, Ariel, how's it?" Going? Blah, 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 blah. I don't. Wh- what is the size? Like, how many slow Zayas does he have? Because he's also doing like the MMA hour, like Dude. while he's like, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to Monday Night Raw in like four know, seconds, and I was at WrestleMania, and I'm at Elimination Chamber in Montreal as a surprise." Sitting ringside with GSP, like I was at Dude. that event, yeah. and Ariel and GSP walked by me at one point. I'm like, yeah. and I'm sitting here in the extremely good sports yeah. set seats, but. But I feel like a plebe yeah. because Ariel's like, no, no, no. I'm going to go sit dude, ringside with, with This is GSP. how I feel every day. Imagine how high I could fly without the anchors <laughs> that I have that are my team. And now he's doing a basketball show? Like he's got to eat off our plates too? Yeah. Like, Unbelievable. Obviously, you get what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Boy, oh boy. Oh. I thought, hey, these guys would be hungry. They're young. They'll come in here. They'll understand. They asked me if they deserved a raise the first week of the job. Mm-hmm. No joke. Both of them came to me and they were like, hey, I just want to make sure we're not getting taken advantage of. I was like, are you what? guys idiots? <laughs> yeah. Like, are you the dumbest guys ever? There's also like the the drill tweet, right? Of yeah. like uh, Pete over here spending $30,000 on candles. He's, he's wearing the Drew House. He takes Uber to work every day. He lives on the subway line. <laughs> that look from Blake was... Yeah, I, but uh, today, like he says it like it's a huge accomplishment. He's like, ah, oh, just like he goes. Thought I'd let you he know. goes. I like to relax in the car to start the morning rather than have to get on the hustle and bustle of the subway. And I'm like, okay, again, has asked me for a raise. One now, week do into your the job. do your servants uh, greet you it's at the door and hand you your mug of coffee yeah, on your way out as well? I don't want to put my my people on blast. Yeah. You know, my my servants. <laughs> anyway, Unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. No, dude, <laughs> it's, people. It's outrageous. Like it's the the I hate it. Because I promised, I always would tell myself, like, when I got older, the younger generation is fine, right? It's a stupid thing that we all do where you all think it's getting worse and worse and worse. But now I do think about the greatest generation ever, which is our grandparents, you know, Mm -hmm. the ones who fought in the war. And, you know, a lot of them emigrated to this country and made a life for themselves out of nothing. And, you know, just a very strong generation that had a lot of, like, really strong familiar roots. And people worked really hard and it was honest day's work. And then I think about, like, Pete taking his Uber to work as he's spending his probably grandfather's money. And I'm just like, (laughs) this makes me sick. It makes me sick to my core. Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction is like his grandfather (laughs) kept these Uber credits. Credits had to hide them. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Seventy years later, <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, pizza. They're spent to get a ride <laughs> to work. Anyway, all right. So the WWE sale happens. Yeah. What was it? Nine what, nine point three. Yeah. Billion. What was sorry? What was Ariel's say? You said you. Uh, I got. Oh, he topic. just. He was. He was just like at rest. He was at the Monday night event, and I kind of forgot about that. So his texts were very short. We was like, mm. he said, uh, "quote that it's better than the Saudis buying WWE." <laughs> And I went, yeah, it's pretty, probably a good take. It's probably a pretty decent take. It's less funny, though. It's less funny? Yeah, it would have been, like, because all the events that WWE's done with the Saudis is, like, every single time, they're like, whatever story WWE has going, they're like, no, 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 we want, like, Goldberg and The Undertaker Mm -hmm. in the main event. Like, give us Yokozuna. Uh, Yokozuna passed away a long time. Give us a fake Yokozuna, (laughs) then, whatever. He Uh, gave me things like, it's a massive business play. And I went, yeah. I, I can understand yeah. that, but how? I am I am super curious, and this is beyond the scope of our discussion here, I think, mm-hmm. but I do think like once some of the details come out and it settles, similar to the NBA CBA stuff where we're working off imperfect information right now, mm-hmm. someone like Ariel's take on 
the labor side of this because the UFC has been battling um, antitrust suits no, dude, from former fighters and stuff. And, and, I care about. and WWE's been tiptoeing around yeah. their own worker rights and and pay and and like health insurance and things like that. And now, like they're going to keep those two arms of the company separate by by all accounts. Like they're under one umbrella, but they're going to operate independently. Mm-hmm. But if I'm those lawyers that are going through these antitrust suits and stuff. I know WWE and UFC technically aren't monopolies because Bellator exists and AEW exists and things like that. Um, but man, they're really from a labor standpoint. I, I think this probably gives the the lawyers and the antitrust suits a, a little bit of extra oomph. So for me, what I'm really curious to see is one how this affects both of the products mm-hmm. because to and I and I know that this is a smaller view of it but this is the part that I get to see right like I don't care about the rich getting richer and I know that listen the WWE buy is still as much as it went for 9 billion dollars and we all go holy crap that's so much money um they just sold out SoFi 2 days in a row and then packed it. that was like 20 some million dollars that they just made from WrestleMania gate alone mm-hmm. okay so it's fine. <laughs> they are totally fine with this acquisition. Well, you also acquired tens of thousands of hours of tape libraries. Yes. So even if yeah. you were to, like, you wouldn't get $9.3 billion for it. But say Netflix turned around and was like, we just need more content. Like, what does is, what is the licensing look like to license old WrestleManias and stuff like that? Like, you have just so much of a content library now. I, I just, I think that this is a completely fine play. From a business standpoint, mm-hmm. I, like I'm not shocked by this valuation, which people seemed to be yeah. in some it, regard. It was a little higher than I, I think. Like eight billion yeah. was what people had floated as like that would be a reasonable price given the assets and given what like other, you know, like like nine point three is now more than the entire Star Wars IP and all that yeah. content sold hmm. for. I hate wow. that you haven't seen Succession because I was going to say as well, I've seen who, the first episode. Oh, and you saw I the know first one. Yeah, okay. the first episode I saw, but I didn't see this well, Sunday's. I, I literally pictured this negotiation going down exactly yes. like the first episode of Succession where it's like, what comes after eight, nine? <laughs> and then there you go. I think we make it a nice round 10B. And they didn't make it a nice round 10B. They, they found... They, they found added, a better they added way. A .3 on it. They found Endeavor was better at negotiating. They didn't just jump up the 10B, all right? Yeah. They should have had the Endeavor people in the room. They really knew what they were doing with this acquisition. <laughs> what an acquisition this is, though. I think it's... I, I'm not going to say whether this is good or bad for either the products because we're yet to see. I mean, My, we we did see... So the big thing is, and, and sorry to, to cut you off there, no, but the big, the big thing is, is since Vince McMahon was temporarily ousted from WWE... Some WWE fans, at least, have thought that the product has improved Mm -hmm. because Vince is, you know, 70-year-old. This is how it worked in the 80s and early 90s. Um, Handling of the creative department and even things like talent relations like, oh, you're fired. Oh, you're hired back two days later and things (laughs) like that, um, that things had improved. Now, we saw Vince yesterday say basically, well, I'm, you know, high-level stuff, sure, but I'm not going to be in the weeds. And Ari Emanuel, the head of Endeavor, who has like a 20-plus year relationship with Vince, said on, I think it was CNBC yesterday, he's like, yeah, I wasn't letting this deal get done without Vince involved. Like, Vince is involved. And then there were reports this morning that, oh, yeah, Monday Night Raw last night, like complete rewrites at the last minute because Vince is back in the chair. Mm -hmm. So... We'll see. I mean, it's the most Vince thing ever that uh, the first Monday Night Raw of the new era ended with Brock Lesnar just destroying people. Yeah, um, that's a very Vince th- move. That's Vince's number one candy baby. Yeah. Um. So I, I do think there is. A, I, I don't think there's any impact on like the UFC fan side of this for right now. Like they have mostly let 
Dana White operate independently under the Endeavor banner. And I think that was probably a selling point for Vince McMahon of like, look, we let Dana run UFC and Dana's still Dana. Um, so come with us and like you've got your you've got your board seat, you've got mm-hmm. your creative control and things like that. And then if these, I mean, they're early morning after reports, but a lot of reports that Vince was back in the in the head creative chair last night. So I, I do think if that is true, that's an impact on the actual product and for WWE fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the stuff is going to be like behind the scenes. Like Endeavor has so many relationships with like venues and other sports franchises and like just the, the kind of synergies and economies of scale of like producing all of these live events. And now this sucks, but they're going to be able to basically merge two gigantic production departments into one. And there are going to be some jobs lost, but they're going to be way more efficient at, at producing it and creating these events and stuff. So that stuff doesn't really affect the fans much, but the Vincent creative thing could, could like take it back to, um, you know, there were some people who had grown a little tired of Vince's vision of of wrestling lately. I I will say this, that that part would probably scare me as a WWE fan because now he's just even more entrenched. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it, it, we thought he was Teflon before. Well, look how Teflon Dana is. Mm Mm-hmm. Like Dana literally just went through a scandal where he hit his wife in public and, and had the, the response of, I don't need to be punished. People yeah. thinking that about me is punishment enough. Yes. And literally, <laughs> yeah. That, so he was able to punish himself and then he still, after slapping his wife, ran out multiple ads for slap league like the week on, after. on the same channels that run the UFC's content. Like By the they way, used, you remember Tim Sylvia? Yeah, of course. You see he's doing the slap fight stuff now? No, I... I he's like 350 pounds now. Yeah, I just... Here's, here's what I'm going to tell you about slap fight stuff is I have zero, 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 oh, zero. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to watch. I just... Yeah. It was a nice remember some guys <laughs> yeah. moment. Oh, God. That's, just, see, that makes me even just feel so sad that it's like mm-hmm. a guy could have a fighting career like that should have been lucrative mm-hmm. and that he's at a spot where he needs to stand in front of someone who doesn't train and just slap somebody else in the face. Anyway, my, my only fear is that they try to create content synergy between the two brands because in my opinion it really doesn't work like it works yes if Brock Lesnar leaves WWE and is actually a fighter duh but mm. Ronda Rousey was a huge failure for the W or for the WWE it just did not work out yeah uh, yeah it was good initially yeah but like once the initial oh my god she's so good she's out of the gate yeah, exactly and then it's it's like she hasn't developed at all or whatever even <laughs> you can go back like this might be an even better one better comp because of the size differences like yeah. Like, if you start thinking about UFC guys who could come over and then you realize just how large the WWE guys are, like, Conor McGregor yes. would be the smallest guy. Tiny. Like, Floyd Mayweather was yes. in WWE for a little bit, and it was a bit of a joke, and, like, they played up that his punching yeah. power, like, yeah, you could you could still knock someone out, but, like, he was so much smaller than anyone that he interacted yes, with. Of like, course. He's, like, he's smaller he's than Rey Mysterio. Mysterio. Yeah. And, and like, Rey Mysterio, I think they announced him at, like, 185 pounds the other night. Maybe Rey Mysterio is a middleweight. Yeah. So you're going to bring in like these smaller guys. And- even even just the size aside, I always find like it's just cringy to watch WWE people speak about fighting the fight game as though mm-hmm. it's real. It's fine when you're watching wrestling, but as soon as it steps out of the world and you start to see the differences and that you go, wait, what what's happening here? Like, are you trying to purport this as more real than it is like with someone who is a real fighter? That never works for me. Like when yeah. you see yeah. the that happen, I hate it. It makes me cringe. And I don't want to see more 
UFC fighters have to try to cut promos like a wrestler mm -hmm. in order to sell a fight. If you're able to do it, great. But if you're not actually good at it, I don't want to see that model further encouraged where it gets cringy like the Colby Covington stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, just... I actually think WWE could benefit from taking a little from UFC in terms of how they build up like fight packages and, mm. and like the mm. what's the the show that they run the, the night of a big pay-per-view. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff. I think WWE could borrow from that more than UFC should borrow from WWE's model um, because I think that's just a better storytelling medium. Um yeah, and I mean, even if you think of you think of the best like wrestling and fighting crossovers like ever, like yeah, there are a handful of guys who've done both, like Lesnar or Dan Severn or whatever. But like Mike Tyson yeah. during the Attitude Era is the best one, right? He was the referee. He wasn't mm -hmm. in there fighting, fighting. against yeah. Stone Cold or Shawn Michaels. He was the ref, and they used it to like, oh, you build a big fun pull apart brawl segment. Um, it wasn't like you didn't have John Jones coming over and like, oh, I'm gonna take on Roman Reigns for the title. John Jones <laughs> would come over and like. I don't know, be like the special enforcer ringside to make be sure around. there's no shenanigans yeah, or whatever. Just, like that, that's the only way you can pull it off. Like it's going to just upset everyone. If you're like, Oh, Conor McGregor against John Cena or something uh -huh. like that. And we're blurring the lines of if it's real or not. That's, like, that's what I'm saying. That's, I don't, that's I really nonsense. don't want I don't stuff. know who it's for. Cause it's yeah. not for UFC fans or WWE fans. I don't think. Yeah. I just, yeah. anyway, I get that. Uh, again, I was watching Ariel yesterday talk about how, it was Vince that had to clear the ultimate fighter to be on Spike TV mm -hmm. after the WWE. And I went, but, and there was real discussion about that. And he said he didn't view them as a competitor at the time. And I went, how does anyone still view them as competitors? Like, no, they're who, partners now. Yeah, but that's it. Well, but even for them to be competitive in terms of the same uh, entertainment space, I go, one is fighting and one is a different dancing. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't, it's a, it's a, yeah, dance. Telenova, what is yeah. it? Like, I, I call it combat drag. Yeah, it's like the people who like drag race and stuff like that. But yeah, but there's fighting Dude, involved. It is the best combat one. I love drag. that. That's impossible um, to top. And, and like, so where I think it gets blurry is from a business standpoint. Yeah. WWE is actually much closer to real sports than it's not because yeah. it is no one question. of the last few live event, live event viewings, yeah. and you can do this dual package of yes, there is the regular content, and then there's the premium stuff, which for you know pro pro team sports is the playoffs, or for UFC is the Saturday pay per views. WWE has that that two tiered model, so you can. Kind Kind of double dip in the the content right fees, mm -hmm. um, or keep some of it for yourself, like the UFC pay per view model. Um, so I think there there are real comparisons for that. But yeah, they're not they're not competing for the same. Like I don't think anyone this weekend was missing sports for WrestleMania. Correct. It's, Correct. Like that's they're not it. competing. You're, you're right. Yeah, and like yeah, there are sports fans who will tune so in for WrestleMania, but. That's why wrestling is so valuable is that you are inheriting this diehard fan base that just will not ever abandon you regardless. That's what's so funny about the Vince stuff is when the fans complain and they go, Vince is kind of ruining the product. It's kind of like when Leaf fans go, I'm done with this team. I'm, I'm done with this team. And then it's like, what'd you get for Christmas? And they're like, a new Leafs jersey and a new Leafs hat and oats, goats or whatever the hell Pete wears. And I'm going to I'm gonna be there yeah. opening night yeah. so to, I, can, to, uh, yeah. I can show that yeah. I was right that they have shouldn't my, have done that trade. Yeah. And exactly. have my true house ex t-shirt ex ex on. Exactly. <laughs> God, I didn't do this before. I didn't do this on the podcast just because you mentioned it. It drives me absolutely nuts that on the youth night or whatever... Like, that like the Jersey night. I like Bieber. I, I, I'm a Bieber fan. I like Bieber's music. I yeah. think that he's overall like kind of a sweetheart of a 519 guy. Five one nine legend. Yeah. But it, it drives me nuts that as we're having these conversations about, Hey, how hockey is super restrictive for people and that like no one can afford it. 
that the Leafs decided to get designer brand clothing as the number one clothes, yeah. like a material yeah. merch option for a, a group that's already like, hey, do you want to come to one of these games? Cool. Family of four, $1,000. Let's partner with Kirkland. Yeah. Let's get a Kirkland it, signature Leafs jersey. Can we just, it just, <laughs> H&M it just if you're going to do the Drew House thing mm-hmm. with Bieber, I'm sorry, Beavs, you got to slash the prices of these things. You got to be making essentially no dough and make the Leafs version of the Drew House stuff like the Walmart brand mm-hmm. of your fashion line. Now, these guys would know better, but I do think there was like a pretty big charitable arm of, of the Bieber stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, there is, mm-hmm. but this is the thing. It's like the charitable arm, great. Drop in the bucket, yeah. It's, yes, and also, man, come on. Like, if have we learned nothing, too, about like charities in the modern era yeah. in terms of, it's not that it's not any good, just the being able to paper over the larger profit for someone and financial gain to be yeah. like, hey, but look, like he's not exactly Rockefeller giving away his entire fortune mm-hmm. here. Okay, no, the, so the, the, the Drew House, like the, like the long sleeve polo ones. I sent Pete a picture of it because I was like, oh, I want to get this. Check the price tag. It's like two hundred. Yeah, that, that's what I'm like, saying. Oh my god! So imagine being a parent where you're taking your kid to the game and it's completely advertised. Drew House, Drew House, Drew House, Drew House. The next gen game. Yeah, and then you you show up and you go to the team shop to buy your kid something, and then they go, yeah, it's a two hundred and ten dollar shirt for you to wear the Drew House thing. I just think it's kind of outrageous. I just it yeah. really does bother me a little bit that it's such a price restrictive area hockey in general mm-hmm. and now they've added another thing that's like you you gotta be rich hey mm-hmm. you want to be a leaf fan oh that's cool like if hey you can watch it at your house in burlington <laughs> and buy our gear online for cheaper that's cool coming to the game buying drew house stuff nah. You better hope your parents make the hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Drew House shirt is because I got a discount for it. I'm like, I'm not paying yes, full yes, price yes. for this. All I'm saying is that it just it's too much. All right, what did we miss? Let's hit some. Uh, let's hit some topics. Did you want to do the Romarain stuff too? Oh yeah, damn it! I missed the main thing. Is why the hell did they decide to go with this? Because th- I've seen tons of conspiracies. There's like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll give conspir- you my favorite one. My conspiracy was that just for the sale, they decided to go with. Uh, the guy to make sure that you had your champion at the very top for the sale and you didn't ruffle any feathers or do anything, anything weird stuff. I do feel like, again, you know me, I'm not a huge watcher of wrestling, mm-hmm. but I felt for Cody Rhodes knowing that he left AEW and that there's this belief among wrestling fans that, Hey, this guy actually did a lot for the business and a lot for the brand and to put him over at WrestleMania like this was a huge moment for him, his family, all that stuff. And I went, that's actually pretty cool. I'm down with this. I was pretty surprised to see Roman had won, and I was laughing my ass off watching the media conferences that they do at these things yeah. where they interview the wrestlers. Like, is this serious? They're so dumb. I, know, I don't know why they do it. But I watched it like, Roman. And he's up there. He's like, people got to believe in me. I'm the champion. I'm like, this is scripted for yeah. God's sakes. Why are we doing this? Anyway, it's not sorry. a piece of paper somewhere. Yeah. So, so, Santos is dialed in right now. I can see he's a big wrestling guy back there. He's like, Blake, tell me what the conspiracy Okay, so the, I'll start with what yeah. I think the actual thing is. Yeah. And I do think there's an there's an element of you head into the new endeavor ever era with your biggest face and most marketable star like the, the most notable guy as your champ because there's going to be there's going to be media stuff there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on the product for the next little bit um i also think there is an element of if vince is back in the creative chair he has historically liked to do that everyone thinks the ending is so obvious i'm 
smarter than you and you didn't expect it. Like Lesnar beating The Undertaker at WrestleMania. That's the most, by the way, relatable thing ever because I would 100% be that exact <laughs> same boss. Like, oh, you think you know my ending and someone predicts it? And I'm like, change everything. And, <laughs> and through all of that, I think that Cody Rhodes is an easy sell on that, even though he would obviously prefer to be the champion and stuff like that. But his dad, Dusty Rhodes, his entire legacy up against Flair and the Four Horsemen was he was always in the chase. Even if he won the title, it was very quick and short-lived and would be mm. back on the, the whoever the big bad was at that time because it was always about Dusty Rhodes chasing and, and being the everyman who, you know, Ric Flair and the Four oh, Horsemen. so you think that he actually is buying into this thing? Well, I think you could sell him on it. Of like, hey, your dad, if he won the title. That's such it a was funny a- thing to do. Like, be like, hey, remember how your dad was kind of like almost the champ? Always yeah. the <laughs> loser? You could be the new King Loser. Yeah, and, and like Dusty Rhodes was like the everyman, right? Like the whole thing of son of a plumber, and he's a chubby yeah. guy, and he looks like everyone in the crowd. Yeah. And Cody like Rhodes doesn't look like anybody Rick in the crowd. Flair is like the stand-in for like the 1% of the world, right? So it's like it Dusty, it Dusty Rhodes against Ric Flair in the chase is kind of uh-huh. almost a, a class war thing. Um, but with Cody Rhodes, like I think you could have sat Cody down and been like, Look, man, your dad was one of the biggest stars ever because it was always yeah. about the chase. There's even a term in wrestling called the du- the dusty they sold finish. To come there though, based yes. on this. But there's yeah. also so there's a term in wrestling called the dusty finish, yeah. which is the good guy wins, <laughs> yeah. but something happens to overturn the result. So you get the big pop, you get the moment, and then okay. oh no, the the system or the authority yeah. pulled it away from him. Now they didn't quite do that, but they did the ref is distracted kind of. BS that they that they always do. Um, so anyway, that that is what the I name think the dusty finish. Yeah, <laughs> it's dusty great finish. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's the way to send the crowd home the most unhappy possible. Um, so that's what I think actually happened. Now, my favorite conspiracy theory though is um, along with this sale, one thing that WWE has been working on on the business side is they want betting on pro wrestling to be legal in the United States, or at least in the States where sports betting is legal. Hmm. You can bet on the overseas books and stuff like that with very small limits on wrestling stuff, just like kind of fun five and $10 bets. I think we did Royal rumble the other year, you and I, and we we picked some out. I Um, I won money on edge winning a Royal rumble and WWE. So WWE would like a little bit more of that because they'll get a taste. They'll get the, you know, the little kickback from the the betting companies or whatever. Um, So the, my favorite theory was that, the day of WrestleMania night two, Cody Rhodes had moved to a minus 800 favorite. So my favorite conspiracy theory is WWE changed the finish at the last minute so that they could show to legislators and betting companies and stuff like that. See, our results don't leak. This guy was the biggest favorite imaginable and he didn't even win. <laughs> is this your theory? No, I oh. saw it on Reddit and then like dug in on a little bit more. And uh, yeah, wrestling Reddit's hilarious. It's like way more insane than like even NBA Twitter or whatever. Yeah, that's just like Reddit in general. Yeah. I gotta tell you though, okay, so it's a good, I, it's, it's a, a great, fun conspiracy it's theory. It's a really fun conspiracy theory. Here's what I'll tell you. I actually think that would work against them if they were to do this because they go like, hey, our results don't leak out of this, except for they, if they actually probably show the paper, they're like, hey, you have a minus 800 favorite that you're propping out there. You're causing this like real market faith because you are scripted. And then so for you to be able to like basically have your result, but then change it last second, manipulate the market and, and manipulate the market based on what the betting line is. Right. So mm-hmm. you have it out there that all these people have pounded Cody Rhodes and then you go, we can't have this. You just pull and the you rug flip out it. From yeah. yeah. You're, you, it's like you're not betting in good faith. And I know that sports betting everything about it in terms of just, hey, you lose. It's I have to tell myself that all the time is it's entertainment dollars. That's what I tell people mm-hmm. all the time. 
You're buying an extra ticket to a different event at the event. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. not trying to become rich off of it. If you really think sports betting is like a way for you to become rich, you're stupid as Delusional. hell. And like, you should not be spending your time listening to podcasts dude. to figure out how to make your bets smarter. You no. should be getting in those you algorithms and that. stuff. No, 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 no. You, should you should be, be doing, doing it for our sake. For ours. What are you talking about? Yeah, this yeah, is the yeah. best thing you could possibly do. <laughs> but no, they should be listening <laughs> to you guys for entertainment. Yeah, and information because we do provide actually you know what's we funny were on a last week. we were we yeah we won every day last week but yeah. but uh, you but you also bet on jose brios last night yeah i did and it was a huge mistake <laughs> back uh, on the escalator yeah again. but i will say this in terms of like bet profitability is like yeah no one pays more attention to sports than blake and i and blake actually like spreadsheets this out and charts this and man we did an entire year of wake and rake bets and we were profitable but it's like it took a extreme grind. It was one good year, and even that good year was like we end up, you know, it, from a profit margin standpoint, it ends up being like fifty two, fifty three percent. Like yeah. it's really not. Anyway, whatever. like fifty two point seven percent is yeah. with a minus one ten line. Fifty two point seven percent is your is your break is your even breaking point. even. Yeah, so that's exactly right. We were basically a break even show despite having a and, bunch of and runs. like I tracked all my NBA bets yeah. that season as well, and I think I came in at like fifty five and a half percent or something, which like sounds. Sounds good, right? Amazing. That spread's yeah, supposed really to be good. a coin yeah. flip. And then it ends up being like a 2% return on investment. Exactly. It's like, oh, unless I bet like hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. this year. Unless you're putting year, down Drake yeah. bets. Yeah. yeah. Then... And then, well, actually, if you're putting down Drake bets, you're losing a ton of money. Okay, quickly, before we go, I want to do this squirrel thing because we got to talk to Joe Excuse House. Oh, end, of, end of an era in the city of Toronto, JD. Yeah, tell me about uh, this. Feeding wildlife in the city of Toronto, squirrels, birds, is now illegal. Well, it was apparently illegal before, is what I read, and that... I love when I know the stories that you guys send way more than you guys, even though I beg you well, to read. Well, they proposed it in April of 2021. And yeah, but the fines been... were already small, right? Hmm. Like you could get hit with a small fine for this, but who was ever doing this? But now, <laughs> now it's 325 bucks. Yeah. If you get caught feeding Maybe a squirrel. Maybe 365 bucks? 365. 365. Yeah, a dollar a day. <laughs> 300. So, yeah. So feeding squirrels, pigeons, banned in Toronto, Blake. If you get caught feeding this wildlife, you can get hit with a $365 fine. Um, this was the city of Toronto statement quote, when wild animals are fed by people, it conditions them to expect food from us and increases their proximity tolerance, which I, I don't really understand whatever. It's like, yeah, pigeons, just keeps them around. Well, it's like, yeah, but pigeons, they're, they're already in. Like if yeah. you get caught feeding a pigeon, I just think you're gross. You're not, <laughs> I don't think that you're contributing to the problem any worse. Like the pigeons are here. They pigeons will walk up to you. They're the cockiest things. Like, don't you? Who hasn't ever just wanted to kick a pigeon? Oh, dude. So it's hard. one of the best Seinfeld bits, right? They're it's, like, we had an agreement. They won't get out of the way of George's car. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And he like he's on a date and she like yeah. thinks he's the worst because he like runs over a pigeon or something. Right. And he's like, We had an agreement. We don't we look the other way on the statues and stuff like that, yeah. but you get out of the way when we're driving. Yeah, but and that's he looks it. like a monster to his date. <laughs> you guys have you've had to punt a pigeon fantasy, right? No, but uh, they're you've annoying. Never punted a pigeon. I've never punted a pigeon. No, neither have I. But I've, oh, I, whenever they come up to you and they're like, and they're like right up <laughs> in like your face. They're their heads at and you. And they're just like, they're they like, don't have any regard. They're like a rude person walking that doesn't make room for you on the sidewalk. I'm like, do you think I can't kick you to the moon? <laughs> do you think we're equals, pigeon? It's so infuriating. It drives me insane. I just think people who feed pigeons are, yeah, truly disgusting. But what is this tougher, though? That's what I'm saying. Squirrel, if I'm at a park and I have a little extra bread and I'm finishing a sandwich and I see a cute squirrel, 
I'm throwing him that piece of bread. Like, what are we talking about here? I would, really so I live really bad for the squirrel. Chill I live Pete. high in an apartment now, but when yeah. I lived on the first floor of a house, we had like a little front yard and trees and stuff. There were squirrels around all the time. Squirrels I'd are cute. Chop up almonds and like put a little handful yeah, out there. Yeah, it's nice. Dude, what, the, like, what do you tell me? The, the squirrel's not going to live in the tree in my front yard if I don't feed it? I don't one, think that that's true. Take me, the, take the me to court things. for this. I, I'm going to fight this, and I'll just be like, uh, what is your defense? Well, here's a picture of a squirrel. It's cute, and it's funny when they eat the little... Yeah, like, it's not yeah, when, anywhere else. Yeah. Dude, now, I'm, one time I had a my my old roommate at that place, uh, a raccoon stole his Uber Eats. That one wow. may be a little more dangerous, but hilarious. I wish I had a camera going well, or just something. just took the bag off the front step? Yeah, he goes outside That's and it's like electric. ripped up and there's like a raccoon like standing on the <laughs> well, garbage yeah. bin with like his <laughs> little piece of pizza or whatever. Yeah. So great. That's yeah. so great. But I amazing. will say that if you're an Uber Eats driver and you leave a portion, like a Oh, no, this is entirely on my roommate. Oh, okay. Like that was probably sitting there for like twenty minutes, and he had the phone alert. And oh, and he was oh. just like, Gee, yeah. yeah th- this this old roommate was. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the coolest things suburb people get sometimes is they have chipmunks, mm-hmm. and if you hold food out in your hand, sometimes the chipmunk will come. Yeah, eat except it when I told they bite you. When does the chip? You know about chipmunk I biting? They, I have, I've been bit before. Shut up, Jeff. Guys, afraid of yeah, chipmunks. Like, no, like you're afraid of Alvin. Okay, yeah. uh, Alvin, <laughs> Alvin, Theodore. Yeah, Theodore. You're like, ooh, you see the Alvin chipmunks? And you're, just, you're just freaking out. You're getting no, chipmunks are cute, but they they bit me on my thumb last year. Really? Last? Tough. I love how Joe actually is a child. Like, actually, no, just like, it was last I was at school last it was year. Last year, it was and more, I, it was more than we went to the chipmunk zoo, and one bit me on my thumb, and my teacher came. I was younger than last year, but it bit me on my thumb. Either way, I think a chipmunk eating out of your hand is damn cool. I'm bringing a mm-hmm. chipmunk next time that I'm on this show just to terrify Joe. Squirrels are, <laughs> squirrels are actually pretty sneaky, nasty animals. There's a really cool stuff you should know yeah. on squirrels. Like when they've been opened up to see like, hey, what's yeah. up inside their stomachs? And they do the, hey, autopsy of a squirrel, let's see what they're eating. Squirrels actually do eat other animals. Like they'll eat bird mm. eggs, they'll eat other squirrels, they'll cannibalize. Like ah. we eat bird eggs too though. Yeah, I know. We're gross. We're humans well. though. But yeah, either and we a lot pass. of us have eaten squirrels as well. Have you ever watched uh, Swamp what was that called show? That Swamp Dance. A lot of us have eaten squirrels? Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people. A lot of <laughs> well humans, not you. Uh, You're probably what, what do you have packed away caviar for lunch? Caviar. Yeah. Exactly. Caviar yeah. and yeah. steak. Pizza. Yeah. Yeah. My daddy is actually picking me up in a limousine. And we gold plated beds. He's picking me up in the Bentley. Take the Bentley Papa. He's taking the rolls Take the Bentley Papa. see later anyways we gotta run uh we gotta talk to joe Housebook off blake murphy you're the man thanks for sticking around this was really fun hey if you like this podcast leave five stars share it when you see it on socials or just yay by the way see the videos i love the people who reach out to me and want to send me uh, messages about content that we make in dms that's awesome but yeah also just share it on your platforms and like it and do those things yeah do those things anyways we'll talk to you tomorrow